Hey, welcome to Casual Watch Talk. Well, we've got another upload for you. Well, today I've actually got another upload for you from the live stream. This was another very interesting interview we did with a lady called Kristin from La Patiala, which is a brand new watch website. Well, it's luxury goods in general, but there's a really interesting section on watches. It takes you all through the basics of different watch movements and different watch types. So I think you'll find this fascinating. As I usually mention on these live streams, the audio isn't as good as the, the podcast, but I think you'll find the content very interesting. So let's play the audio from that live stream, which was first published on the 23rd of October. Hi everyone, welcome to Casual Watch Talks Sunday Social. Well, we've got quite an interesting show for you, but before I do that, I will do introductions. First off, I'm joined by Kristen from La Pateala, Todd from TikTok Talk, and then hey, Seiko Todd as well. Should we start with a wristwatch check? Todd, Seiko Todd, do you want to? Seiko Todd. Off? So, yeah. <laughs> I'm going against uh, Seiko today because in honor of Kristen, I don't have a Patek. It's not in my failure. <laughs> I have my Mont Blanc. Nicholas Ryasek, GMT Chronograph. Very nice. Uh, thank you very much. It's a very unique design, which I, I truly love. You're not going to mistake this for something else, uh, most likely, if anyone's even ever seen one in a while. Definitely Kristen, not. I'll go to you next. What are you wearing? Yeah, I'm wearing my Chelsea um, Le Coutre Reverso Duetto, and I love this oh, watch. Yeah. It has such a classic, beautiful nice. design, and then you can flip it. I can't do backwards. <laughs> and it has a different um, dial on the back. Oh, that's so nice. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that is a, a lovely one. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I I reviewed the standard reverso on the channel. I absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just that's can't great. quite pull it off for my my wrist. Uh, for some reason, it didn't it didn't fit right. But I know that people that do wear it, it looks awesome. Um, yeah. Todd, what are you wearing? New acquisition, and I kind of changed gears after I talked to the guys in the group, and I, I went with the Nomos, the okay. uh, campus, and yeah. I, I just love this watch, and it has the exhibition case back where you can see that beautiful movement that they make. I just, and, and Nomos it's just is so really thin. Kicking. Yeah. It is, it, it's a great watch, especially for the price. I just, I'm really enjoying it. So it's a, it's a manual wind, and it's got the California dial. Yeah, it's a it's a manual wind only, uh, and it, it has the California dial, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And but you know, the, I do like the uh, the fact that it's manual wind only because you really get to really enjoy the movement. You know, yes. it's not hidden by that rotor. Great watch. Yes. Love. Yeah, and, and I'll go. I'll go next. So I'm wearing my my much loved green <laughs> date just where you can't see nice. the movement; it's completely hidden. But uh, <laughs> Mikola over at Man Cave Leather, who, who sponsors the show, made me this. Uh, it's 21 mil, so it's a bit of an annoying. Uh, look with but yeah he made me this leather strap for it handmade absolutely awesome so this is included in the review that i'll be i'll be posting soon so it's getting a bit hot here in florida so i'll have to probably take off the leather soon but i'll wear it whilst we're uh, i'm indoors awesome okay well Kristen, we've we've invited you on we'd love to hear about your new watch well, it's a luxury publication, but it's around. You've you've got a really cool section on watches, and I've read the whole thing, and I think it's ideal for definitely new watch collectors and more seasoned watch collectors because it goes into um, different terminologies, complications. What certain? I like the one that was. What's the difference between a chronograph and a chronometer? Because that's definitely. <laughs> I think that's really confusing when you start out. But yeah, we'd love to love to hear more. Sure, absolutely. So um, I founded the Patiala as a oh, luxury encyclopedia. Oh, that's a, there you go. <laughs> um, so it's an evergreen resource to answer your questions of all things luxury. Um, I'm a luxury expert and journalist. I write for Bloomberg, Forbes, Rob Report. Um, I was an editor at Elle and an elite traveler magazine beforehand. So I bring a really strong editorial background. And I founded the Patiala earlier this year to share information on all things luxury, like champagne, caviar, luxury travel, jewelry, and of course, watches. Um, 
you know, when I started in the watch industry, I found that it was really difficult to learn about watches. Everything was either um, too entry level or it was assuming a baseline of knowledge. And I didn't have that baseline of knowledge. I'm like, what's that thing in the back that's turning? Um, what does that do? <laughs> um, but I was lucky enough as a journalist to be able to go to all the trade shows, meet watchmakers, executives, and ask all of the dumb questions um, to learn about watches. Um, and then once I became a watch expert writing about watches, um, I decided to start this platform to teach people the basics. So it goes from entry level 101, you know, what are the different types of movements, quartz, mechanical, automatic, manual? Um, what's the difference between a chronometer and a chronograph, as you said? You know, I think we as watch aficionados take for granted how difficult it can be to learn. And, you know, I hear a lot of retailers tell me, I'm like, what are some of the silly questions that people ask you? And they say that people will come in, they'll buy a $15,000 watch, come back three days later, my watch isn't working because they didn't know that they had to wind it. So I think giving people a resource where you can really learn all of those things that you're too embarrassed to ask other people um, is a great way to get more people involved in the industry and give them confidence. Excellent. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Because even I think when you're starting out as well, and you're trying to sort of get that base knowledge, I think even sometimes forums can be slightly intimidating as well, because you don't know whether you're asking too basic a question or whether you, mm -hmm. you, you've got no gr judgment on whether your questions are normal or whether they're they're so obvious. And I don't. I think, and also, uh, you know, I've I've done a lot of watch reviews, and I don't think I've done any. I think maybe only. Teddy Balzers are and a few others are quite good at doing those sort of grassroots from the ground up um, mm. videos where they talk about sort of the basics and things like that. And you perhaps forget, well, I certainly forget how important that is and, and how that actually gets people into the hobby instead of scaring them. And also, you know, being able to judge prices of things as well, because you can get very good quality, complicated watches across a whole spectrum of, of prices, I think. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, you you touched on something that just made me chuckle a little bit. Um, my son's boss, he was like, "Oh, someone gave me a Rolex. It was like a family member, and you know, I don't think it kept very good time, so I just got rid of it. I sold it to somebody else." And I'm like, "I don't think he knew that there was no battery in that." <laughs> they just get used to the battery mm -hmm. world, you know. If you come from the '80s or whatever, you just assume everything's battery right. operated. Right. Yeah. For vintage Seikos, for example, one of the things that you know, when we're hunting. So vintage Seiko or vintage anything is, is kind of like hunting. And so you go on different platforms, you're looking for things. And invariably, you'll get someone that'll put up like a, you know, and I, I'm a chronograph person. <clears throat> and so they'll put up like an early 6139 Seiko chronograph and they'll say, yeah, it needs a battery. Yeah. And and so we're like, ah, we want to, you know, so we'll track that guy, <laughs> you know, and and because chances are it wasn't it wasn't advertised properly. And uh, it may turn out to be a good deal. But, yeah, I see that. I see that a fair amount online. And, and I think you're right. I think it's more of a generational issue where, I mean, I'm the oldest one here, I think. So, I mean, I remember getting some of my first watches and you had to wind them. And it was, so it was no big deal. And then everyone wanted a digital watch. So I remember getting my first digital watch. But, yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think something like this, uh, especially in the luxury area, would be excellent because you get a lot of people that probably want to own a status symbol of some sort, like a watch or what have you, but they may not know enough about it to make an informed decision. And uh, so I think something like this is is truly excellent. Mm. Thank you so much. And I, I think there, you know, people are interested in watches, but they don't know about all of the watches that are out there. And then, of course, because retail is so tough right now and there aren't a lot of watches in stores, you can't even watch in and say, oh, I'd like to learn and see things in person because with some brands, there are just literally no watches, as we all know. So a resource like this that's sort of splitting things up by the different types, the movement, the complications, you might say, oh, my God, I've never heard of a jumping hour watch. That is so cool. That's next on my list. I want to go get one. So it's really just about opening up the industry to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it does an excellent job. So do, have you sourced all these articles? Do you write the articles yourself or is it is it like a team that? I do write them myself. Yeah, I approach, oh, wow. it, I approach each one like writing a book. Yeah. Oh, okay. well, that's so, really cool. Uh, <laughs> now, that's why. See, now I'm even more intimidated. So do you, <laughs> do you do all of the writing for all of the stuff on this website? Because you cover way more than just watches. Yeah. 
I do. Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. Well, wow. I'm, I'm going to sign off soon, Sam. I don't know if we can talk with this person. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it's funny. I, di I I apologize for accidentally showing how dinky at the start there. But the reason <laughs> that I had it up was because I was trying to see whether they've mm -hmm. done anything like that. And they haven't done anything like that, you know, that terms of the the kind of the breakdown of the basics. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to do like a compare and contrast. So I, th I think this is it's it, it certainly made me think, wow, I should maybe for in the video format as well i should mm -hmm. on my own channel maybe we should we should do some more sort of basics um going back because th the other thing that i like about the the way that you've done it is you've 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 broken it down in such a way that it's 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 sort of parrot broken down in paragraphs so it's not like massively long um sort mm -hmm. of technical analysis it's you kind of distilled it down to the core things that you need to know and and why it's important which i think is I, i've been reading it for like since you sent it over and um it, the last as i was preparing for this i think i've read most of the articles on here i find oh, them uh, i'm, so I'm amazed that you've yeah you've written them all yourself that's really cool that, that's fantastic thank you. so you're a one thank person you. show in terms of content yes <laughs> unbelievable Okay. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, no, I'm. It's been a a couple of long months with, you know, writing all of the stories. There are um, f over 500 watches in the encyclopedia, um, and mm. fit about 50 stories, and working on building it up um, as time goes on. So, wow. it's been really fun. And so you know, I've been writing about. Oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, you know, it's been really fun to share my passion for watches and to write about things that don't necessarily get covered. You know, most of the publications out there that are fantastic are news focused. So they're focusing on new releases or mm -hmm. they're doing watch reviews. And if you're like, I don't I don't know the basics. I just want to learn about these things. There's nowhere really to go. And I know that firsthand as someone who started covering watches um, eight years ago, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So how did you develop this broad-based... Oh, sorry, Sam, I didn't mean to jump in front of you. No, no, please, please. This broad-based capability... Uh, so a lot of times people, like I'm an engineer and I've gone and done all the thing up to a PhD and I'm like focused on what I do. And mm -hmm. you, you know, so if I was you, I would maybe be really good at watches or jewelry or something. How did you develop this cross-sectional thing? Because food and wine, wine itself, I know enough to be dangerous with wine, and it's it's a mystery to me in terms of the global market and you know and and of course the um, what's the word I'm looking for you know where they're you know people are buying cases of wine you know in hopes that they would increase in price I know some people that do that very well but how did you develop this top level of expertise to write about it across you know this large uh, subject area. Uh, well, I mean, it's literally my job to write about luxury. So while other people, you know, go sell things or or doctors, I learn about luxury and I write stories. So I've been lucky to do this um, almost my entire career. I started in fashion and then I moved on. I'm a really mm. curious person and I ask tons of questions and I'm also quite a bit of a nerd who takes a lot of classes and reads tons of books. Um, I have the Wine and Spirit Education Trust Level 3 Award in Wine that I earned with distinction. It's like the equivalent of being mm. a certified sommelier. So to do that, I spent hundreds of hours studying, thousands wow. of flashcards, um, tasted so much wine, but <laughs> it's something I really love. So um, I did that and, you know, I sort of focused on one thing at a time almost every year. And then I, I like to move on to the next thing. And hmm. so that's how I've done it. So, so was it eight years ago that your passion for watches started or is it something you've had for for a long time? I was not passionate about watches at all. I didn't wear one actually. And then I started at a magazine where I had to cover watches and I knew a guy who worked at the Blancpain store and I said, Hey, I have to start writing about watches. I need to come in and maybe you can teach me the basics. And, you know, he told me about moon phases and dates and perpetual calendars. And then I went to Basel world pretty shortly after. And um, I was just fascinated by the movements, by the watchmakers, by learning everything about these different complications. And I'd never heard of a tourbillon before and seeing them move and understanding how old these complications are and how long watchmaking has been around. It just really captivated me and I wanted to learn everything that I could. So, you know, I've been lucky enough to go 
to Switzerland so many times that I think they look at my passport like I'm a spy. <laughs> when I come in and I just smile and say, I write about watches, um, go to different manufacturers, um, the different trade shows, events. And so over the years, I've really gotten to see behind the scenes of the industry. Um, and I speak French fluently, so I get to hear all the little back talk that uh, they might not want the English speakers to know <laughs> when we're wow. touring around. So. <laughs> Oh yeah. wow, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I'm just, I'm just sitting here going, "This is insane. This is, this oh, is amazing." Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I think because I, I, I've, I'm certainly feeling because I've, I hyper. Well, I've got my day job, but then I, my obviously my hobby is this, and then I hyper focus mm -hmm. on watches, and I'm not sure. I there's just so much to learn and so much to know and so much to absorb all the time, and I'm mm -hmm. not sure I could, I could if there's room for another another topic <laughs> or certainly that like a host of topics like that so that's really cool if any of the watch brands approached you how did you how you said you picked sort of 500 watches what it for the encyclopedia how did you mm -hmm. how did you go through that process um you know i decided what complications and types of watches i wanted to cover first made a list off the top of my head who i thought would be the best for all of these different categories and then i sort of did deep dives into each brands and said oh i forgot about this h moser watch or oh you know rolex has this awesome one that would be a great fit here um and then i just reached out to all of my brand contacts and shared with them the list of what i was doing and if they had any watches they wanted to suggest um, i would consider them editorially and then got all the pictures and resized them and wrote the copies. So, and is the are you, are you stopping at the five hundred, or is it the idea to ultimately grow the encyclopedia from year to year until it's a quite a comprehensive sort of? Because I can't think of another publication that does that. That's, mm. that's such, yeah, such an so archive. There are still some watches um, categories that I want to cover that I haven't gotten able to do so yet. Um, some of the stories are still a little bare bones. They have the intros and then just images for the watches instead of entries. Um, but if you look at like tourbillons, for example, that goes into in depth about tourbillons and then has copy for each of the watches explaining what makes each one so special. So first working on filling those out, then I'll go into different categories that I haven't covered yet. To brand profiles, what makes Rolex Rolex? What makes Patek Patek? Why should you care about the Royal Oak? Cover iconic watches, you know, Zenith El Primero. And I'm also really passionate about supporting independent watchmakers. So shining a light on people like the Royal Ferrier, who are doing just absolutely stunning timepieces with really great complications. Hmm. Yeah. You think about uh, doing Laura, anything out in print, kind of like there's like a there's a one that's yeah. like the watch annual or something like that. Cause I mm -hmm. think watches in particular lend themselves really well to just that old school model of having right. that on my coffee table like, and being able to just like the Houdini concept, yeah. right, Todd, where they yeah. put out the magazine occasionally and you get this glorious photography going on. Yeah. 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 My background is actually print publications. Um and I had thought this might be um a coffee table book about luxury when I started thinking about La Patiala and it quickly outgrew that um, and became this website. So I think each of the encyclopedias could theoretically become their own book at some point, mm -hmm. um, or it could be an A to Z guide to luxury once the encyclopedia is more filled out. But um, I know the trials and tribulations of being in print publishing, and I'm not well, getting back into that world anytime soon. <laughs> you, de you definitely have to charge a premium now, which I think Houdinki yeah. does, isn't it? Like they do five um, bucks for a magazine yeah. or something. I just yeah. forgot it was twenty five or thirty five. Yeah, um, it's pricey, sure. but it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's, it's, it's I, do, nice. I did. I, I did. Yeah. Like I bought the watch annual and I was like, oh, this is cool to look at. Like to have yeah. these beautiful pictures because to me, like what's so cool about the whole hobby is that these things are like little art pieces, really, that you're wearing. Mm -hmm. you, know, the, right. you don't need them. It's it's like a little piece of art on your wrist. And it's, right. I think that's and why it translates so well. Part of my passion and the reason I started the Patiala is to help people find more beauty in the world. And every time I look down at my wrist and I see a beautiful watch, it just brings me a little bit of joy. And mm -hmm. no, no one knows outside of the industry what I'm wearing. They don't know that it has mechanical movement inside, that I can flip it around. But it's just something that's for you. And I think that that's, that's really special. And, you know, the world can be a crazy place. So it's nice to find something that brings you joy that you can wear with you mm -hmm. every day. And we can send you down another rabbit hole too, because one of the people <laughs> online just said, "How about a vintage section?" Because that is oh, yeah. a yeah. great area and a tricky one. It's a very tricky mm -hmm. area, especially when you're a new buyer. You know, mm -hmm. you don't know if you're buying, you know, an 
you know, like one of those Indian specials where it's just been Franken watched together and like mm-hmm. we can get an Oris for $17 versus actually right. getting a beautiful Omega Seamaster or a vintage Seiko like Todd collects. Or the, or the common one that people think of is uh, Universal Geneve, don't they? Where that's quite a popular uh, vintage one, but they're also quite hard to service because there were, a lot of them were in-house and you have to like cannibalize other watches. So I think there's even in the, in the main brands, there's, um, you know, there's, there's some confusion, isn't there? Absolutely. And I'll be the first to say I'm not an expert on vintage watches. I did buy my first one this year. I bought a vintage um, Piaget watch at auction at Bonhams. And it was a confusing process for me to figure out how to buy a vintage watch. You know, they say it's working at the time of cataloging. What does that mean? Am I going to spend several thousand dollars buying a watch that's a lemon? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So it is scary, but I, I do think eventually we'll do a vintage. I'll do a vintage watch section yeah. section. I was just going to um, go with what Todd was saying here. I went, that's what I went mm-hmm. out to go get. This is okay. one of my first mistakes <laughs> oh. in vintage watch collecting was this Oris. Um, and what was, a, tell me the story. Well, it, it, you know, in terms of navigating auctions, and you probably know this well. In fact, that would be a great thing to write about. How do you navigate auctions like Bonhams? Mm-hmm. I bought from Bonhams before. And they had, they actually, when they were doing their um, uh, one for Seiko, they actually had a bunch of Franken Seikos on the website. Oh, it was a big travesty in the Seiko community. I mean, the Seiko community is really tough. Mm -hmm. And so vintage Seiko community. And so they're like the emails were being, and this is uh, in Hong Kong. So this is Bonhams in Hong Kong. And we just kept throwing them like that watch is not right. That watch is not right. But they had a couple that were correct. In fact, um, I always like to have this is one of them. This is a uh, 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 this is a flyback chronograph uh, 717 um, oh, wow. uh, from 1970, and so it's it's actually the first automatic chronograph flyback. So I can do whoop, I can push the button right. Yeah, I didn't do it right. What did I not do right? Yeah, trying to do this on <laughs> you know when you when you're trying to do this from yeah, it's not doing it. Anyhow, this is actually one from Bonhams, and it's correct. Um, and uh, but they had a bunch of ones that weren't. So I slowly was learning. I did. I made this mistake. The one reason I keep this watch is because I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it as a reminder of doing your homework properly. Mm-hmm. But this is before there were a lot of resources for this sort of thing. Um, in fact, that would be a great resource again for you to say how to how to buy a watch. Like yeah. you said, if I want a Rolex, I'm not going to get one new. If I'm uh, if I'm going to get a uh, a Lange. Uh, well, like one of the ones that isn't like the, um, uh, the the starter starter ones, you know, you can't just get go to the store and get them. You have to build mm-hmm. up that uh, that buying uh, status with the long age. There's a great YouTube video now by somebody who's uh, bought a couple that way. So, you know, how do I get that? Now we have the secondary markets. We have Watchbox. We have mm-hmm. um, Watchfinder. We have the 24. Yeah, Chrono 24, uh, uh, Federico has Delray Watch, uh, which has some really good deals. And so, yeah, Chrono 24, exactly. I bought a couple of Chrono 24. I mean, I, I show and tell. So here's my Hewer Caliber 12 uh, calculator that I got mm. off Chrono 24 from a, a seller in Japan about uh, two weeks ago. Very cool. It's, it's stunning. It, in terms of they rebuilt it, it runs fabulous. And... Uh, it's I've wanted a caliber 12 watch for a while, which is one of the first automatic chronographs. So, you know, but learning how to do this, I had to go through some mistakes. Um, that's uh, that is that something you might consider in the future if you don't already have something like that? Like, how do you buy the right bottle of wine? How do you buy, you know, the right watch without getting, you know, taken? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are definitely difficult questions to answer you know it depends on your personal taste your budget what you're looking for but i think um definitely having some sort of general stories about what to do is mm-hmm. going to happen in the future real fatiala absolutely yeah, yeah trusted like resources are so critical uh, because there's just a lot of people taking advantage mm-hmm. out there right now yeah so how did you there was obviously a lot of craziness during covid with the watch the watch buying community was that the catalyst for starting this that sort of renewed interest in watches or was this something that you'd you'd been working on for quite a while 
Uh, it's something I've been thinking about for a long time. And then I, my job got caught up in all the craziness and I went freelance and I said, okay, this is, this is my time to do it. And I really dedicated myself to building the site, which took about a year mm. and creating the content. So, um, yeah. And I think the newfound interest and then also new people who are becoming interested in watches, it's such a bigger industry than when I started the people who are interested, the communities, the different types of collectors that are out there. Um, I think there are more people who want to learn about watches than ever before. So it's really, really great timing. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Because you've been writing for watches for so long. The last couple of years have just been, I think, just just crazy. So I was wondering what your take was on it. But obviously, it's that more people have, are now new new watch collectors. Yeah. Uh, what do you, yeah, what do you think of this... Uh, Obviously, there was there's a lot more new watch collectors coming over the last couple of years, but also there's been this real notion of like watches as investments. What what do you have an mm -hmm. opinion on that? Um, I mean, I don't care for people who approach collecting as investments. Obviously, it's a huge amount of money to spend on one product, so you want something that's going to keep its value, not lose it. But if you're buying a watch just to keep it in the plastic in the box with the papers and flip it. You know, I think you're taking away the joy that someone who would actually wear it can get from it. And um, and I don't think that it's the right way to approach it. So there are definitely people who are coming in and they're saying, oh, I want a Nautilus or a Royal Oak. Oh, I can't get that. Now I want a Laureato. Oh, I can't get that. Now I want an overseas. And now the wait lists are being driven up on all of these timepieces for people who aren't even going to wear the watches. And it's just mm -hmm. pretty disheartening to see. I mean, it's great for retailers and brands, but bad for everyone else. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very so interesting. One of, one of those groups. One, of the, someone asked if it was okay, and they had like, I don't know, I don't know why people need external va validation, but clearly you already know it's kind of weird that you're doing it. They can you can buy these sticker kits that completely cover every link of the watch and the sides of the watch oh, and everything. Yeah. And, and everybody's like, no, why are you doing? It? And I feel like you're only doing that because you're hoping to resell. Because yeah. those sticker kits cannot look good after a couple of weeks, right? Like it's going to mm -hmm. be all marred up and yellowy yeah. and gross if you're actually wearing this watch <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, that's, that's the rolex that seems to have the self-destruction mechanism built in on the clasp because as soon as you as soon as you put the watch on <laughs> the clasp the clasp is like completely scratched because mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. it's got that high high mirror finish to it i think i made a joke about it in the uh, in the review that i was going to post that it's uh yeah rolex as soon as you put it on it's it's part of you. If, if there's no scratch on it, then it's nobody's ever taken it out of the box. I don't think about that. I'll get you a sticker kick, Sam. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. Like with casual watch talk. That boat is on. Oh, we can make yeah. a fortune. Yeah, that's that boat has sailed a long time ago. But I know what you mean. They used to pop on Instagram, didn't they? And I mean, it must take hours to do it because there's it's like a hundred stickers in the pack and you have to. For sure. Mm -hmm. You're going to get a bubble on it. It's just, this, is, this is crazy. Yeah, I have a question for for Kristen uh, mm -hmm. to follow on a little bit of what you were saying before. It's something that fascinates me because I teach I teach college courses too, and so I'm dealing with what I call kids because they are much younger than I am. Mm -hmm. And what they um, what they're looking for, or the way they look at the world, and I have a son that's uh, a younger son too that's there, and it to me a lot of it is just completely different than what I me from somebody who's just barely past the baby boomer um, is looking for, have you like, I guess, looked at the the type of audience you're trying to get with La Patiala? And, you know, are you, are you doing things differently for folks like me? Uh, maybe, you know, I'm trying to find out something or from a more the millennial uh, and I forget all the gen things. They get so confusing. Um, is that something that you have to, to take into account? I guess is my question. Well, I, I think on the website, everything is just about having top quality content that's easy to read and easy to understand and has beautiful pictures. But then the way that you get it to people can differ based on age. Like I'm about to start a TikTok channel, <laughs> oh. um, you know, to teach people about it. Um, and then, you know, Instagram and Facebook, Twitter, you get different audiences. But I think, um, you know, a lot of Gen Z people approach things more with more irreverence than we would um and it's just a little more of a playful attitude but i do see people who are younger really coveting things that 
I find a little surprising, like an Hermes Birkin. All of these college kids are like, I need an Hermes Birkin bag. You know, it's a $10,000 bag. No, they don't. They don't need that at coming out of college. I keep telling my college students, don't buy the new car yet. Get (laughs) gone. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You think of the um, the Birkin bag as being quite rare, but there's there's two in the Bloomingdale's. In I think Bloomingdale's have started doing this like vintage section, or the, or certainly the one in Orlando has got a um, a vintage handbag section. They've got two Birkin bags sort of in the in the glass there as well. But yeah, it's it's funny that isn't it? Because Hermes is almost known for the Birkin. Birkin bags and like the, those 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 shoes, aren't they? But you never see anyone in the store when you when you go. I think it like it just must be a cycle of people just going in and asking for the. It's probably similar with Rolex as well, where it's people going in and trying to uh, you try and get these hot models at, at hot um, watch models because. I've been fresh in my mind because I've just been working on my Rolex review, but I've talked in there about how you need to go in like realistic expectations about what you can actually buy in these stores or mm-hmm. you need to do your research first to understand how to approach asking for watches or you know having several choices in in your own mind um but yeah it's good that you're starting a tiktok because my wife's one of her favorites youtube channels and I, I forget the name of it it's a lady who does she breaks down luxury items and she'll mm. compare things about what is the real value here what mm. the materials that are being used and the the history behind the bag and and stuff like that because my wife bought a louis vuitton purse and she was quite disappointed with it she ended up taking it back mm. um because she was quite disappointed with the, like the quality and stuff like that so i think mm. that that knowing about what is quality as well as what is luxury i think is is it it, it's an interesting question in the watch world but i I guess in the wider world of all the subjects that you're covering is probably uh, more interesting yeah absolutely question too for uh kristen Mm -hmm. so you've so you've already become an expert on about 13 14 15 different things right (laughs) now now that you're an expert on tequila they want to know if whiskey is on the way next Whiskey is on the way. Yes. It's, um, oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm <right>. very, <laughs> I'm very passionate about whiskey, and I think I've been putting it off because I have too much to say about the category. <laughs> um, and I know it's going to take me quite some time. Like I'm looking at my bar right now, and I've got like, four bottles of Macallan over there, um, twelve, fifteen, eighteen, and a special release, so a rare cast. So definitely coming. Tell me what your questions wow. are, and I'm happy to answer them. Wow. Yeah! Wow! Excellent. Wow! That's because that, that's a whole thing in itself, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a whole yeah. lifetime of learning. Well, Indeed. yeah. My my, oh, I'm sorry. My brother-in-law is a big Blanchard's fan, okay. and yeah. so we can get it here in New Jersey easier where he is. So mm-hmm. he'll send me and hey, can you get me? Go check the your sources <laughs> and get me because at one point during COVID, especially, you couldn't find it. Oh yeah. So uh, so I got one for him. He's like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Um, that's nice of you you need to check out Isla Whiskies okay I'm not familiar with it I think he's talking about the island um, peated whiskies there yeah I think that's there I don't don't love peated whiskies as much but I'm more of a Oh yeah, the peaty whiskies remind me of holidays. With my, my parents love Scotland, and when 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 I lived in the UK, their favourite destination was Scotland. So even when we were kids, we used to go around the distilleries. So I remember the pe- mm. the peat smell. Yeah, PTSD. Yeah, bringing up peat s t d d. Yeah, but that smell that smell of the um of the with the whiskey and the um and those copper distills I, I remember that even from being a kid wow. i have another question so i'm gonna jump on it again if that's okay Please. so one of the things that's 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 rampant in the watch industry and you know this well chris is is the um is the is the now uh, emergence of these super fakes so you have and and it's i saw the first super fake of an omega uh with the with supposedly you know a coaxial movement in it now but it was close. They couldn't do the co- coaxial movement. And if you know what you're doing, you can tell that it's not. But mm-hmm. I've been seeing, you can go on YouTube, you can see all the things. But so the watch industry is suffering from that, of course. But what about some of these other ones? It's like I read a story about the wine industry and there are fake 
bottles of wine that were auctioned off. And I don't know how you do that. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Or I could imagine Bulgari jewelry being mm -hmm. uh, probably anything that that's expensive could probably be faked. How do you, uh, is that something you're, you're de dealing with or something that concerns you or just, I I'm just curious of where you are. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge problem in all industries. And what you're referring to about wine um, is probably from the documentary Sour Grapes. Where yes. this man named yes. Rudy, and I can't pronounce his last name, um, basically counterfeited thousands of bottles of the world's most exclusive wines um, in his apartment and just had, you know, stacks and stacks of labels. And he was just blending wines together and saying that, and then they were actually being sold um, at an auction house. So there's tons of counterfeit mm -hmm. wine out there, which is definitely a problem. So I think the blockchain will eventually help brands um, okay. really secure the chain of ownership. And, you know, some watch brands are already doing that. They're doing it in handbags. Like I just got a new Bulgari bag and I put my phone in it and all of a sudden a QR code popped up because there was some sort of RFID chip in there oh, right. that you can register it. So it is really interesting how brands are using technology. And of course, as technology improves for security, it also improves for counterfeits. So it's kind of um, everyone's just chasing their tails. But um, as long as you're buying from a reputable person, retailer, doing your due diligence, you, you should be safe in the watch industry. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that the trick in that, Todd, and, and the challenge is that there is clearly a market that doesn't care if it's yeah. right. Counterfeit, right. Yeah. So oh, right. They're, they're all about the Instagram thing. And then you who are looking for the real product are like, well, could genuinely make a mistake and get caught right. up in it. And it devalues the product. Uh, as an example, I was in uh, Brussels for a conference and we went walking, my wife and I went walking around and in the, I forgot one of the main squares, these guys run out with sheets full of fake handbags mm -hmm. and they're all like doing this and they're trying to negotiate with the tourists. And then all of a sudden the, the police come, you know, blah, 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 and they just, grab up the sheets real fast and they try to run away. And at one point, one of them dropped it and all these fake handbags went bouncing everywhere. And we were just standing there looking at this going, you know, uh, and that's in Brussels. I can't imagine what it's like in, you know, other countries. I spent some time in Cambodia. There is no, uh, there is no, what I'm looking for, trademark or trademark anything in Cambodia. Mm. You can, everything in Cambodia you buy is, is either off the back of a truck somewhere or it's fake. Okay. Yeah, because they don't have the laws against that, and so I can imagine in Asia, Asian countries uh, that have loose copyright and patent law and that sort of thing could be really bad. Yeah, we like we that. experienced it in uh, Kuala Lumpur and um, oh. Penang. It's the same that they, they the tour guide told us that they you can you can have life in prison if you're found with drugs, but if you're found with fake, it, you know, it's just, it, they don't care about the, the fake stuff. And I remember going to the night markets and seeing where they had the, they showed the actual factory. They had a book that showed the lineage of the fake handbags and the factories and how they were made and stuff. So it's, it's definitely, I think in the, the, the watch world, you're totally right. I think there is a, a part of the community that doesn't really care whether it's, it's fake or not, which is a shame, but I know I was going to say, Todd, that I know Breitling and I think maybe Hublot and a few others have started doing their blockchain, mm -hmm. registering their blockchain. I think Richard Mill does it as well, or, or at least they have a very comprehensive database that uh, supposedly they know every time a watch changes hands. I think Vacheron oh. is as well. Could be wrong. Oh. But, you know, what people, they might think it's a victimless crime, but really it's not. I mean, mm. sex trafficking, violence, gangs, mm. child labor, it's it's not victimless. It's a, it's a huge problem. And I obviously don't support it in any way, shape or form. No. And there's been right. some big YouTubers as well. There was a, there's a very famous YouTuber that I'm sure people will know in the comments section, but there was a very famous, very well-respected YouTuber that was selling, reviewing and selling fake uh, watches. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it has its tentacles in bleeds out into all communities and that, that for a period and definitely knocked the credibility of, I think people doing YouTube and, and things like that in general. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. That's awful. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Well, hmm. um, I noticed on, on the website as well, you're starting to do, um, you've got like a store that you're building out. Can you ever imagine going into like Hodinky territory where where it's like a watch, watch <laughs> part of that? Or Teddy um, Balazar or something like that, where you yeah. actually are a representative for a name brand? 
No, not at this stage. Um, the reason I started the store was um, I was sick of going to websites and saying, I need a wine glass recommendation. And then they would say, here are the 25 best wine glasses yep. because they're just trying to get all the affiliate links. Mm. So in the store, there's only one of everything and it's linking to an external retailer. So if you say, I need an oyster knife, I'm like, here's the best one. Trust me, you don't need a different oyster knife. Yep. Those are the gloves. That's the platter. Mm -hmm. Um so it's just easy for people to look at because, you know, a lot of websites drive me absolutely crazy. Like, here's your vintage champagne, get Dom. For a non-vintage, get this Rienard Blanc de Blancs. So I think it makes it easier for consumers. Um, but retail is a whole other beast. And this really, for me, is more about curating content. Yeah, absolutely. And Dom Perignon obviously stole Lady Gaga from uh, from Tudor. She was a Tudor ambassador <laughs> and then she mysteriously <laughs> appeared and now she's... <laughs> Yeah. But uh, yeah, I thought she was actually I thought she was actually a great ambassador for for Tudor. I don't think they they used her quite as much. I think they were they were getting a David Beckham out onto the events a little bit more than than, mm. uh, than Lady Gaga. I did get well, to meet David Beckham at a Tudor event, and he is very dreamy. <laughs> yeah, he's, I I've never met him in person, but growing up in uh, I'm from Manchester originally, and mm. everyone I ever know that's met him has said he's is a really nice guy. Which mm. you know nice. for for that team that he played on a Manchester United there wasn't many uh a few of the few of the main guys weren't as nice mm -hmm. as they perhaps perhaps were thought to be but uh yeah you always hear that David Beckham's a really nice guy shall we um I know we when we were chatting before the live stream we would we uh discussed over email the new Patek watches and I'm I'm interested to know <laughs> it, uh, know your opinion on these because I know there's a couple of YouTubers that um, have made and a couple of articles written certainly around the the the, the fifty eight eleven, and I, I, I tend not to agree with some of the viewpoints about it. But before we start, I mean, are you? I guess I'll ask it this way: Are you of the view that this is just like a slight iteration of previous models, or do you think that these are actually sort of like a fresh take on on previous versions? Where which camp do you you sit in, Kristen? That? Um, I mean, if we're talking about Nautilus, slight mm. changes, you know, but I think there are some really impressive chronographs that they unveiled, especially mm. the um, the lefty split second perpetual calendar, inverting yeah. the the counters, making it a mono pusher. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> mm. Yeah, we'll yeah. on your site now. Yeah. Yeah, that, I'll, I'll, I'll give you. I, I still like, see, there was preamble to this. And I, I was telling Sam, like six months ago, there was a whole thing like Patek's going to discontinue the 5711. And oh, we don't want to be a watch brand that's only known for the 5711. We want to distance ourselves from that and showcase our other things. And then they just brought out a 5811 that is exactly like a 5711 on the surface. Like it, sent, it seemed like a move to just create a hype and a demand. Like everything that Rolex gets accused of, of creating mm. false demand up the prices it just felt like that because i was like oh they're that's cool they're gonna do their thing and then that, that came out and i'm like okay that's the exact same watch i you know in my opinion the 5711 in steel was the hype around it is just kind of unbelievable and i understand why terry stern would be disappointed you know we're patek philippe we're a prestigious house we make the most complicated watches on earth and everyone is losing their mind over a steel watch <laughs> like right. this is absolutely crazy but you do also need to respect your collectors, help them figure out, you know, give them what they're looking for, because that's why they like your brand. So I think by putting it in white gold, which doubles the retail price, which will make it less accessible on the secondary market, hopefully that will cool down this retail frenzy. Mm -hmm. People will start looking at other timepieces. Um, I think the secondary market, of course, I could still just pump it up even more, but there has to be a limit to what people are going to pay. Like, are you going to pay 120 grand for a steel watch when you can buy the white gold one for under 70 at retail? Probably not. Well, so that's what I was saying though, too, yeah. before the steel costs so much, it's hardly any difference between the steel and the precious metals. Yeah. Well, well, at that I point, think, what well, was like 40 for the steel yeah. at retail? This is 68. At retail, right. Yeah. And then they're just up, you know, tripling it for the secondary yeah. market. Yeah, yeah, and he, he was he was true to his word in the fact that he they've not made a steel Nautilus like the fifth. <laughs> I think I think because I was even reading back, I was like, did I remember that right? And I do remember the interview he did where he was talking about um, 
the steel version. So I know I, I was watching another YouTuber, and it, it was sort of it was sort of insinuating that well, they pulled the wool over their eyes and they were going to re-release it, but they have released it in a precious. They've released it in white gold. It, I mean, it's negligible the the case difference, obviously. But mm-hmm. so they they've been kind of true to their word that they haven't released a steel version of this. But I feel. I mean, in a previous life before the the prices went crazy, that that did feel like it was a obtainable watch. I mean, and and the same with the Aquanaut. It's a shame that the Aquanaut prices went crazy because I remember a mm-hmm. time when the Aquanaut could be had it pre-owned at like a slight discount because I remember reviewing one and uh, it was still at my price range then, but it was uh, it was within reason that you could afford mm-hmm. one. And now, obviously, on the pre-owned market, they've gone they've gone crazy. Hmm. Well, one thing for sure is that Patek will sell every single <laughs> one of these. Oh, yeah, and there will be no issue whatsoever with uh, with their marketing. Yeah. yeah, and I know Roman Roman Scharf over on the uh, Luxury Bazaar. He was he was thinking that this they were pre- they were doing price prediction. And he was thinking that this fifty seven twelve. Which I don't know if it's got the retail price on, but he was. They were saying that this could go to two two fifty. They were thinking on pre-owned. Mm. Yeah, it's eighty two thousand now. They were thinking it would mm. it would three x on pre-owned market mm. just because of the. He said it was. He believed it was the most like cohesive design. Um, the rose gold with the rose gold with the chocolate dial. It's mm. it is gorgeous. It is. It I mean, is. I just think for that within that, and this is just my personal aesthetic in that watch style. I just prefer a three hander as opposed to extra complications in that. That's just me. Oh, you mean on this this the smaller sort of, on the Nautilus style rather than yeah that yeah style. Yeah, like having the, the one uh, that um, Kristen was referring to earlier. That I mm-hmm. love. It's a completely different watch. It's mm-hmm. that's gorgeous. Yeah, and the the green um, split second Ooh. perpetual. I just love that too. It's that's awesome. So gorgeous. The dial green. composition is so harmonious using the aperture combination with the sub dials. It's it's just mm-hmm. stunning. Oh, and the yeah, it's unbelievable. Nice. Yeah, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. Green is the new blue. I'm, I'm yeah, all over it. That's why. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. why. Where as soon as this date just came out with the green <laughs> dial, I was I was like, that's it. I'm all over it. Because yeah. I was very much blue watches before then, but I'm loving this. Yeah, green green is the new blue. I love the way that they've mm-hmm. uh, been doing this. I, I also found it fascinating. I just I like the way that they've done this. Um, the the rainbow, I believe the sapphires, but the, also this um, this one. It's like a gradient. It's not a rainbow, mm-hmm. but it's like gradient brown and yellow sapphires, which is incredible that they've they've managed to get all the grades and then built this. This watch, I think this it, and it, for for a lady's watch is is amazing. Really, the the look of it. Yeah, you know, you don't get this color combination a lot, and it does really show the expertise of Patek Philippe's um, gemologists and gem gem setters to be able mm-hmm. to create this. Um, and it's nice that it came out in October. The colors are very very fall, the changing leaves, um, but they go, go so well with the beautiful rose gold. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that actually. That it's very full colors. It's very mm-hmm. full. It is. Yeah. Do and, do you see these out in the wild very much? I mean, obviously, these are new, Kristen. But I, I'm curious in your because of all the places that you frequent, you know, where luxury is is which, which per your business, right? And and so you'll see yeah. all kinds of things. Do you see some of these? You mentioned, you know, it's a, it's a shame when people buy these and then stick them in a vault mm-hmm. somewhere and they don't get any, you know, any real time. But I mean. For these Pateks and you know other ones of similar uh, rarity and cost, do do you see them being worn? I do, yeah, in New York, absolutely. Mm. We see a lot of you know Nautilus Royal Oak Rolex all over the place. Um, Not as many independent designers, which I think is a shame, but I do see people wearing these watches. Yeah, that's interesting too, because like especially when you refer to and. This is going to sound all wrong, but in the ladies' models, apparently Cartier has under the belief that, for the most part, women prefer a, a quartz watch, uh, mm-hmm. one that mm-hmm. they don't have to set and to get I something. I think that as well. I think, yeah, and to have mm-hmm. a watch Omega, yeah. with that movement that's going to require a little bit of love and care. It, it's just interesting. I'm curious how how well yeah. those do sell. I think there's been a big change in um, women's watches in the past five years. Um, before everything was pink it and shrink it. 
Put some diamonds on <laughs> right. the bezel, coarse yeah. movement in it, make it smaller. And there wasn't a lot of care given to women's watches. And there mm-hmm. are certainly women who do not want to set their watch. They don't want to wind it. Fine. Get a quartz movement. Great. But brands should definitely be offering the option for complicated watches. And you're seeing that, you know, Vacheron Constantin came out with their first perpetual calendar watch for women earlier this year. Mm-hmm. This chronograph, the um, Aquanaut Rainbow Luce is gorgeous from Patek. And um, yeah, I think there's also, you know, some watches are becoming smaller, unisex. So I think you'll find more women wearing the watch. Again, it just is about changing your mindset. Mm -hmm. What you were saying, Todd, about your Gen Z um, students, just thinking that the watches should all be battery powered. Um, It's just a change. I mean, I wore, my grandmother gave me a Bowman Mercier quartz powered watch when she passed away. Mm -hmm. And even though I wrote about mechanical watches, I was wearing a quartz powered one for a while. And then Mm -hmm. I got my Reverso. And I would be like, oh, I have to keep finding this thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it just is a mindset shift. But if you appreciate it and if you understand it because you've learned about it, then I think it takes your um, relationship with the watch and with time to a different place. Mm. Yeah. That's such a great point. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting point, Todd. I've had, the only tech I've seen in the wild was I've reviewed one of the um, – it wasn't this uh, – it wasn't this world timer with the chronograph, but it was the, yeah, it really is. Yeah. With the salmon dial. Ah, and look at the gradient, not gradient, but it's got a pattern. Ah, I mean, like the guillotine on there. If price is no object, that's. Well, well, interesting. I believe this is stainless steel. I could be wrong. Yeah. It's steel. So it's a stainless steel brand complication uh, in there. I've reviewed the, the non chronograph version of the world timer um, on the channel, the one with the gray dial. There was something about it that I didn't gel with, and I, I, when I think back on it, I think it was because because it was I, I, then it was a discount. It was actually I think it was I think they retailed for maybe sixty or something, and and the retailer I went to they had it for like forty five, and I bet you that was a couple of years ago, and I'm sure that that's mm. it, it, they're now trading above retail. But I remember the the actual world time of complication, um. I, I don't know. It, it just, I didn't, I didn't gel with it, but I always wanted to review a Nautilus because I, when I've reviewed things like the, um, like the Royal Oak and stuff like that in person, they're, they're completely different than seeing pictures online that the feel of them and things like that. Whereas, um, so I always wanted to see a, a review a Nautilus. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you're looking at these luxury watches, the way that the bracelets are integrated, how they feel, the links, the weight, it's something that you can't convey um, just through images and definitely does make a difference to see, hold and feel them in person. Yeah. I'm almost, I'm always intrigued, especially with the Aquanaut and obviously this new rose gold version, what the rubber bracelet is, what the rubber strap is like on these watches. Mm -hmm. Like, because I've, I've, I've had watches with some really good rubber bracelets, but you think, wow, how much of it? Because I think this, I believe this one is in the $200,000 range. Um, Yeah, $212,900 US dollars. So you wonder how good is the, how good is a rubber brace, uh, a rubber strap on this watch for, for that price? But, um, It'll be great. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just old fashioned. If I was paying $200,000, I sure would like to have a gold bracelet. I don't know about yeah, a rubber bracelet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm intrigued about the, uh, I've always been intrigued about the Oyster Flex um, bracelet. Yeah. I know some people that love it. And then Ricky over at Scottish Watches was was not a fan of it at all. But I think that actually has an inner, I think that has a titanium bracelet w- within the actual rubber itself. So mm-hmm. sort of like a hybrid strap. Right. Well, that's it's supposed been, to be uh, awesome. Very comfortable. Yeah, Kristen, like, you... like the channels. Oh, Sorry, Todd. Oh, yeah, you're yeah, fine. No, no, I just I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I, I did. Kristen, did you say you brought some Patex? No, no, I. Oh. I don't have any Patex with me. Oh, <laughs> I was just ready to discuss uh, those new releases. No, that's no I, I want to make sure before we end, if you had some. Sorry. Patex, yeah, I can pull out a Serpenti if you're interested. <laughs> I'm not oh, even sure. Right? Oh yeah, is that the? Oh, is that yeah, the, snake the triple watch? wrap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh very wow. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think we want to yeah. see it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's in my safe. I have to go. Get oh it. no! 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 Yeah! Don't worry about it. Actually, I believe you, you, I think um, you've actually there's pictures on the webs uh, your website, isn't there, about that mm-hmm. that that watch? I think because I thought yeah. that was a 
Piaget. It's not. No, it's the it, Bulgari Serpenti tuba bass watch. Bulgari, yeah. Bulgari, yeah. Triple triple wrap is, I think, the most iconic. But they also make um, single wraps. Oh, I, I'm I'm intrigued now. How how wearable is is that that oh, watch? So oh, so wearable! Hey. I wear it all the time. Yeah. I love it. Oh, so it's um. There, this one. Well, I I don't have the high jewelry version. <laughs> oh, but yeah, so it it has um the coils inside and you just sort of wrap it around your wrist oh. and it's super comfortable so to wear. So they're not fixed. They'll, they'll, they'll go around your wrist. Yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So it goes complete. Does it go completely flat and then you can, you can. Wrap no, it no, it, no, it has a, a structure that's flexible, but it doesn't go completely flat. Yeah. Okay. I could never. Like a I could. I should phone cord. Yeah. I would agree uh, with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it has we've a got a last. We've got a last question here. Can we hear some of um, oh, yeah. favorite things, favorite wine, tequila, car? This is a lot. <laughs> car, oyster, well, destination. Quick, quick fire style, like one, yeah. boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my favorite wine is champagne. My favorite producer would be Krug, but it's very pricey. So my day-to-day -day is Reinhardt, Blanc de Blanc. Uh, my favorite tequila. Um, you know, I recently tried Penta tequila, which is made by some Napa winemakers, and they age mm. it in um, ex-American oak or French oak barrels. It's just interesting. It has really beautiful vanilla. Um, I think that would be my favorite tequila of the moment, but I also like Casa Dragonis a lot. Um, my favorite car, Bentley GT. live in New York. I don't have a car, so I would say that's my favorite. Um, I think Bentley really combines, like, the feel of driving, like, an amazing luxury powerful car but it's actually comfortable like when you're driving a mclaren you're like oh my god i'm driving a mclaren and it's very very loud so if you're into that it's fun but um just for pure luxury i think that least the best my favorite oyster island creek oyster from duxbury massachusetts um absolutely fantastic it's what thomas keller uses at per se in his famous um, oysters and pearl dish my favorite destination is a beautiful beach in a five-star hotel, and I'm not very picky where. <laughs> wow, that was awesome. Wow. <laughs> Rapid fire. <Yeah. higher. laughs> and we yeah. didn't even prompt you for any of that. That was right off the cuff. Oh, yep. thanks. Now you have to do it in French, not just <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'll just go through and see if we've got any questions we missed. I think we got the most of them. Um I think yeah. there was one there, um, if I scroll up, that, that was a good point. It, and I, I kind of half made it, but um, about my uh, Bonhams experience is that you expect these well-regarded auction houses to be experts. And from what I've seen, a lot of times they aren't. Even though, even though each of these is curated by a specialist there, oftentimes they don't seem to have at least in the watch industry, you don't seem to have necessarily all of the knowledge necessary to do it correctly. Um, at least, at least from some of the things I've seen. But so, so just because you buy something from, from bottoms doesn't mean that it is indeed absolutely like it should be. And by the way, with all the disclaimers, when you bid on these things, you're never going to get, you know, you, you probably, I don't know if they'll take it back. They probably won't unless it's absolutely something that's wrong, but um, yeah, you're just buyer beware. You still have to do all your old homework. Yeah, I, I think you that you should that guarantee for a, for a year. Um, but mm -hmm. you're right. The disclaimers are very, very clear that this might not be what they say it is. It might not be working. So um, it's kind of a crapshoot. You have to make an educated guess. If I were to buy a really expensive piece at auction, I would definitely bring my own specialist with me to take a look um, at the timepiece. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, um, you know, you can get a really great deal at auction, which is, I think, one reason why people like it. But maybe you want to go to a, a secondary retail boutique that um, does actually authenticate their watches in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that would be another excellent uh, process for the, the website to go through, isn't it? Like, how do you approach an authenticator mm -hmm. or how do you know where to get certain watches mm -hmm. authenticated? Because, um, I mean, that's that can be a complete unknown and that, usually it's all through personal relationships of people know somebody who knows something about them but it, it generally if you're bidding on high value watches because you can't go into a rolex store and ask them to authenticate it they they have to send it off for um for service the same with omega as well i think mm -hmm. right one more 
one more question if we have time, because this is yes. a discussion my wife and I had right before we came on. Mm -hmm. And it's from Michael. It says, what about affordable luxury? Is that a thing? And my mm -hmm. statement is, it's not luxury if it's affordable. Kristen, your thoughts? <laughs> well, I, you know, I think sometimes people think luxury has to be, oh, I'm eating caviar covered in gold on a private jet. And that's not necessarily luxury. And a lot of the times those are tacky and I wouldn't consider them to be luxurious experiences. You know, what's luxury is having like amazing service. It's like the perfect taco on the perfect beach of beautiful sunset and a great glass of wine and great company like that's a luxury experience and that doesn't have to cost thousands of dollars but when you are in like an absolute amazing you know five-star hotel it's a completely different experience to a three-star hotel so you can find luxurious experiences that are attainable like you know for example caviar is my favorite food i love caviar i eat it all the time and you can get a tin of caviar for like a hundred bucks it's great caviar sure you're not gonna eat that every day but you can have a lot of fun um, with your friends. You can enjoy it. It can be great for a special occasion. And again, it's a hundred bucks. So that's not a crazy amount of money. So I would consider that an affordable luxury um, that okay. people can enjoy. I like it. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Well, before we go, I'll just put the website up here. So lapatiala.com. It's a great resource. I've been reading it all day. If you're new to watch collecting or you just want to refresh your knowledge on certain things, it's a really great resource. So so check it out. I'll leave I've already put the link in the description down below, but definitely check it out. Thank Kristen, you. thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was really great to chat with you guys. Nice to meet you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks everyone thanks. for being so active in the comments. And we'll see you next time on Casual Watch Talk Live. Thank you.